Welcome to the latest episode of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, where we discuss and examine the 75 greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel readers and published by Marvel Comics itself. The countdown continues every Wednesday until June 1st, 2016. And joining us once again is Mr. Al Sedano. Welcome back, Al. Hello. What we're talking about this week is one that actually sort of held in reserve for Al when we were putting this podcast together. I put it a call on Facebook with all the podcasters and other comic geeks that I know when I had the idea for it. And Al was, you know, in the inconvenient position of getting married at the time and just wasn't able to get on Facebook right away. So I set aside a couple of stories, actually this week's and next week's, and flat out told people Al's got first dibs. If he wants them, they're his. And we'll fill them with someone else afterwards. This week we are talking about Marvel Graphic Marvel number one, The Death of Captain Marvel. Yes. This one does not have a surprise last page. No, it does not. Although, I to, when I was reading it, I, to, I had to wonder if, you know, if people, when it came out, if people actually did wonder if that was one a surprise, you know, really was going to be it. Yeah, I wonder if it was like the Death of Spider-Man arc that kicked off this podcast series. It came in at number 75. When I was reading it, I honestly was thinking it was a double bluff, that they wouldn't spoil the story that much in advance and promote it that much. I was expecting that to end with the death of the Spider-Man persona and with a perfectly healthy Peter Parker putting on a different mask. But that's not what this is. Kind of like the opposite of the death of Gwen Stacy, where they don't even give you the title until the last page when it happens. Yes, yeah, which we'll discuss in more detail in podcast yes. number one next June. So, although that one, that's been spoiled all over the place if you've seen the list by now. Yeah. So the Marvel graphic novels are something that we've touched on before. Actually, when Al was on for his first appearance and we discussed the New Mutants run by Chris yeah. Claremont. Which starts off with Marvel graphic novel number four. Yep. And we'll come back to another one in January with X-Men God Loves Man Kills, which is graphic novel number five. So, which are the two I actually did own as a kid. When we were talking about the New Mutants, we did say that we talked about the Marvel graphic novels in a little more detail later when we weren't dealing with 58 issues total. Yeah. <laughs> so this seems like the best place to do it, considering this is essentially a one-numbered or a one-off issue, even though it's a large issue, right? It is clocking in at 64 pages, so it's roughly the size of three issues of comics, maybe four, depending on which area you're buying them from. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty big one. Yeah, so this was another attempt by Marvel to create some stories that weren't beholden to the Comics Code Authority. It wasn't as important for sales to have the Comics Code Authority stamp in the 80s, especially as compared to what it was like in the 50s and 60s after Wortham published Seduction of the Innocent. So they were looking at ways to do it. And one of the things that they did was do the Marvel graphic novel line. So instead of just having a monthly comic book periodical, they were trying to sort of establish comics and the comic medium as something that had literary value. Yeah, because the graphic novels were a little more serious. There was a little, there was a little more to them, at least the initial, I don't know, 15, mm -hmm. 20, 20 of them maybe? The first 20 were officially numbered. And then they got up to issue 39 is where they started to be unofficially numbered. And they kept going well beyond that. They stopped calling them even Marvel graphic novels where they were publishing them without numbers. They ended up having well, over 70 in the format. They oh, just, wow. I did not went that high. Yeah. Yeah. It's But the officially numbered ones and the unofficially numbered ones ended with the Inhumans by and Nascenti and, and Brett Blevins with number 39. And they continued for a total of 74 or 75 of them. It's just the rest weren't officially named Marvel graphic novels. They didn't have the numbers on them, but they were using the same 
oversized eight and a half by 11 page format, the same improved paper quality and so forth. And that is one thing I did like about them, that they were oversized. They were pretty much, they were almost treasury size. Yeah. So these are, to put it in today's terms, we're looking at stories that would be three or four issue miniseries, and this would be like the trade paperback collection, just slightly oversized, as we said, the eight and a half by 11 pages. And when you have the graphic novel like this, it is a little more freeing to some degree in terms of the stories, right? If you've got a story that's 88 pages, well, you can do that in four 22-page issues, but then you've got to structure it in such a way that the story ends with something that feels like an ending or a cliffhanger or something that makes you want to come back on pages 22, 44, and 66. But if if it's coming out in 64 pages all at once, you don't need to put artificial breakpoints in the story partway through. Yeah, you can just tell one story without pausing it anywhere. Yeah, that's one of the things that Joe Straczynski has said is the most liberating about doing these Earth One graphic novels for DC that he's been doing is that, you know, he he can tell the story at its own pace. He doesn't need to force Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3 to be the same size if it's a three-parter, right? They can be different lengths if they need to be. Yeah. We're talking about the graphic novel that kicked off the Marvel graphic novel line. And when they were doing that, they wanted something that would really wow people and show them what this line can do and do something that had never been done before. Yeah, and I think they succeeded. I would say so. Yeah, for this, they actually tapped Jim Starlin, who was writer, penciler, and inker on this, given his fairly extensive background with Captain Marvel up to this point. It was colored by Steve Olaf, lettered by Jim Novak, edited by Al Milgram, who had a habit of also inking Jim Starlin's work, so they knew each other well, under the preview of Jim Shooter as editor-in-chief. Now, this was released with a cover date of April 1982, sort of. I've got a reprint edition. I'm told that with these early graphic novels, the covers themselves didn't actually have dates on them. This was the indicia date, if you open it up and read the inside covers. The actual release date was January 12th of 1982. And it comes in in spot number 25 in the countdown. So this is the first part of the last third of the top 75 greatest marbles. Actually, not to be criticized. Well, maybe it was added later. No, because I'm just looking at what I have. And on like the, like the second or third page, it's a little minor introduction. It's like a paragraph introduction by Al Milgram. But it uh, it's dated February 3rd, 1982. Okay. But then again, also, I'm reading it from the Marvel Digital Limited. So God knows what printing it's from. Yeah. That's true, because there have been things in Marvel Digital Unlimited, such as Silver Surfer Parable, where they're actually including reprint versions and not the originals. Yeah. So, in any event, this was an early 1982 release. Yes. I mean, the release date I pulled was from Mike's Amazing World of Comics, which is generally pretty good, but I did find a mistake there before. Yeah. And but like I said, it's also possible that they're reprinting it from fifth printing. It is. It's also possible that trying to go back and, you know, reassemble all these release dates based on old shipping lists, because it's, I mean, Mike started this project well after a lot of these were published. He, he wasn't thinking about these in 1982. I don't even know if he was old enough to do this in 1982. So he's trying to reproduce it from shipping records and the like. So I'm sure his database is far more accurate than my efforts would be if I were doing the same thing, but it's a daunting job that's hardly error-proof. Yeah. In any event, rather than waiting to the end, let's drop in a promo spot for one of Al's podcasts here, and I think there's one that may be particularly appropriate. And then when we come back, we will discuss the significance of this issue, just in case you hadn't guessed it already. In February 2014, a new podcast dedicated to the Marvel Comics character, Adam Warlock, debuted. 
and the internet broke in half. Well, not really. Far from it, to be honest. But a few of you actually noticed, and we thank you for that. Over the course of 2014, we covered all of Adam's Silver Age adventures and have started on his Bronze Age solo series, as well as his current appearance in two Thanos specials. But it's time for a change. So I'm sad to announce that episode 20 will be the last episode of Resurrections and Adam Warlock podcast. However, I am pleased to announce that in 2015, we will premiere the first episode, which we will call episode 21, of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Yes, the show is continuing, but now with more Thanos. Each month we will have John M. Wilson on as we cover an issue of Warlock, and the other episode of the month, we will continue to have Brian Zeno on to cover Thanos' appearances, starting with Captain Marvel 25. So join us in 2015 for Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, now with 20% more Thanos. Welcome back. We're back. All right. So would you like to, Al, would you maybe kind of take a stab at the audience, see if we can figure out, because, you know, I'm a little baffled. What would be the significance of a story titled The Death of Captain Marvel? Uh, possibly that Captain Marvel dies? Yeah, that's probably a pretty good bet. And also the manner of what how they do it. Yeah, that is one thing I will give them a lot of credit for. I cannot think of another comic character who died in quite this fashion. Yeah, not in battle, not fighting, not saving anybody. Yeah, it, it was the long-term result of the battle. Yes, from years ago. Yeah, he had cancer. Yeah, he was given cancer in his fight against Nitro, who we will discuss in a little more detail in podcast number two. But Nitro was a character whose power was the ability to explode and then put himself back together. And in one of their battles, he exposed Captain Marvel to a carcinogenic compound. As a result, Captain Marvel has cancer. And, you know, he fights with some of the Titans of Saturn. Yeah, yeah, it involves, uh, there's some Thanos stuff in here, some after, after effects of the... Uh... Death of Adam Warlock and Thanos from a few years beforehand. Yeah, and they... So while they're putting it all together, that puts him back sort of in the sights of Isaac and Mentor and Eros, a.k.a. the Avenger Star Fox, who confirmed the diagnosis he's already got. That he has what on Earth is referred to as cancer, blackened amongst the Kree. It's got different names for different races, but they all deal with it. And that's why Captain Marvel, you know, started the issue by recording his memoirs and has been thinking about this along the way. Because he already knows he's sick. Yeah, it's, as we said, Isaac just confirmed the diagnosis, which is he's got incurable cancer. Yeah. So they put the word out and look for assistance from every species, see if anyone has figured out a cure for this particular type of cancer. They call in the Avengers. He goes to Rick Jones as much for companionship as it is to warn Rick, hey, I've got cancer. To the best of my knowledge, our link, because this is in the time when they were trading places in the negative zone, yeah, well, when he got it, as at this point, the graphic novel, they weren't links, but when, yeah, with the fight with Nitro, they were. Yeah, he was still there for long enough that he says, you know, you're probably okay, but let's not take that chance. Go get checked out. Yeah, and Rick does not uh, react well to it. He does not take the news well. No, yeah, he goes to the Avengers and basically says, okay, guys, let's go cure his cancer. And the Avengers could have had handled that conversation a little bit better. They basically start off by saying, you know, we're good, but this is totally new, you know. And coming out with what sounds to Rick like a bit of a defeatist attitude, you know, had they opened with, 
Yeah, Mentor has already contacted us. We're on the way there now, but we're making no yeah. promises. Yeah, we don't know because it's not just let's try and cure this at some point. It's let's fix this before he dies. And they already give a timeline of from the beginning of the issue of uh, less than three months. And yeah. sometimes that's passed before we get to the part where he goes to Rick and Rick goes to the Avengers. So at least a week or two, I have to assume. So we're talking like 10 weeks. That's a different story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's clearly not just the Avengers as they get up there. We've got Doctor Strange and Mr. Fantastic, both of whom have served on the Avengers, but who were not Avengers at this time. Yes. Although the one, just real quick, why is Wonder Man one of them? I don't get that. I, I thought he was, he had, I thought he had like an electronic sperm before he became Wonder Man. And that, you know, so if it was about mm-hmm. business, maybe, or about, you know, technology, I can see having him, but I don't remember him having any kind of, medical type background yeah nor do i i remember him being an okay businessman who was the subject of medical experimentation that he didn't quite understand being brought back to the dead and deciding his passion was really in acting yeah but i mean yeah. that's the people they have they have thor which makes sense because of donald blake iron man and because uh, iron man at least is tech enough technological that they could use him for making stuff to do you know if they explain what it has to do biologically he can make something obviously hank mccoy is the beast is a biochemist Black Panther is, well, I'm not sure exactly what medical degree he has, but he is a friggin' genius, so I'm sure he has some kind of medical knowledge. Yeah. Yellow Jacket makes sense. Vision even makes more sense than Wonder Man, and just the fact that Vision is just so intelligent probably has some knowledge of, encyclopedic knowledge of uh, different medical practices. Yeah, the Vision, like most robot characters, can become a genius in whatever you need him to become a genius in in a matter of minutes if you give him the right source material. Yeah. But I see Wonder Man there, and I'm like, uh, what? Yeah, and some of that is Rick called him in. So there's always the question of how well does Rick know Wonder Man's background? So Yeah, maybe Wonder Man's really thinking here, I should just act like I belong here. Yeah, and it does go, and we actually get some very nice pages at it as it expands to Captain Marvel's friends. So for those of you who read the Resurrections podcast, one of the, the things that Al does at the end of each episode is talk about where the friends of Captain Mar or friends of Warlock have been. Now, it... You've already grown that podcast to include Thanos. If you ever include Friends of Thanos, you're going to end up reading and recapping the entire Marvel line after this comes out. Because, yeah, we've got a splash page. No, no, no. I I talk about the issues, though, that he's appeared in, not who guest stars. Okay. Because I just thought you were, you know, following Thor after he showed up in Thor and following those, so. Yeah. No, so, I mean, like, it doesn't matter who appears in here. For this, just counts as Marvel, would just count as Marvel graphic novel. Okay. So if I see a Marvel graphic novel came out in that particular film, I'll mention that. But, you know, Aven- you know, if he had, I mean, granted, they'll be in Avengers by this point, but, you know, the fact that Namor appears doesn't mean I have to cover a Namor book. Only if he's in a Namor book. Well, that's, that's good. That's how I get around. Yeah, because yes. we have got a splash page here with the X-Men, the Inhumans, the Defenders, the Fantastic Four, Daredevil, Spider-Man. Power Man and Iron Fist. The Inhumans, although they didn't have a book. Ghost Riders there. Yeah, Ghost Rider, the Hulk, Silver Surfer, Submariner, they were all members of the Defenders, as was Hellcat, Gargoyle. If you're reading every everyone who's ever appeared in the same book as Captain Marvel, after this issue, you are now reading every book in the Marvel line. That's essentially what it boils down to. Yeah, although to be fair, if I was doing a Captain Marvel podcast, I could, I'd be dumb at this point. Also true. He's dead. I'm done. Yeah. So after this, there's a lot of just nice character work with Captain Marvel in his deathbed even getting a visit from a member of the Skrull Empire, who's here, and I quote, I am here not because you are our enemy, but because you have always been our greatest enemy. 
No being in the entire galaxy has ever faced our armed might so bravely or thwarted our plans as many times as you have. You are quite possibly the greatest warrior who ever walked the stars. We Skrulls are a martial race and have long respected your skills, deeds, and courage, even though you are our foe. That is why I have come by order of the Imperial Council to present you with this, and he hands him what Captain Marvel recognizes as the Royal Skrull Medal of Valor. So even his greatest enemies are saying, you know, we don't like you, but we respect you. Here you go. Yeah, respect the hell out of you, and you deserve better than this, but we're going to at least give you an honor, because yeah, it's honorable. No, there's a, a lot of nice little, the one, I mean, we don't see him talk to everybody, obviously, but the ones we do see are some good ones. I mean, Sp- Spider-Man's reaction to it, to being in the room as he dies, considering the, the deaths that he's encountered, dealt, dealt with, and the significance of all those, you know, Uncle Ben, Gwen Stacy, mm-hmm. he has some issues with it. And then when Rick comes, you know, when Rick shows up and just tries to make up for the lost time of him being angry, especially how they do that page where the thing's in there with him. And he just kind of walks out quietly and shuts the door. He's like, they're going to want to be alone for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really nice showcase of all the characters. I totally believe the reactions for all of them. The Thing seems to be probably one of the most empathic heroes in the Marvel Universe. Right. If there's any hero out there who's going to have a very good grasp of how people are feeling under these circumstances, it's The Thing. He can read people like nobody's business. And that shows here. Yeah. And it shows that he has other ability, I mean, personal ability, which is to kind of li- not really liven it up. It's not like it's a party, but to relieve some of the tension. He's actually talking about uh, Captain Marvel 26, the first time him Captain Marvel met when they fought. Because that's the description mm-hmm. he says when Marvel rips out the power cable out of the wall and zaps him. Yeah, it's right so, there. So it's so he's talking. He's like, you know, he's doing the jokes enough to keep everyone. You can see they're actually look like they're enjoying themselves for enough. I mean, for what the situation is. But, you know, he's trying to keep spirits up. And then once Rick shows up and he sees the reaction there, he knows, okay, that time's over now. Let's just give him some privacy for a bit. Yeah. And soon after that, Captain Marvel slips into a coma. He doesn't wake up. He does have an experience, which it's a little unclear, but whether it's a dream sequence or whether he is close enough to death that he's actually communing with the dead, in particular Thanos and Marvel's personification of death, as they have a rather unreal or fantastic battles, the kind of thing that you'd have seen in a Steve Ditko Doctor Strange comic as yeah. they're facing each other down there. And it's possible to be either way, but considering the significance he's had with death, you know, this, the Marvel version of death and Thanos, I, I kind of lean towards this is what actually is metaphysically happening, so to speak. It's not just in his head. Yeah, that's the interpretation I choose to believe is that Captain Marvel has warranted enough of their respect and attention that Death and her lover Thanos come to get him personally. Yes, I mean, it wasn't just what he did. I mean, he was officially protector. You know, he was young, given a protector of the universe title. So, yeah, you know, he's not, you know, a Green Lantern or, or a member of the Nova Corps. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, Marvel's death is not necessarily evil. I mean, yeah, there's times when she'd like to have more dead people in her domain, but she rules all the dead. Right. It's not heaven or hell. It's more the Greek version of Hades, where it's all one spot. Some people just have better rooms than the others. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say if you were putting the two versions of death together, she's definitely, you know, would be more towards the size of um, uh, evil than DC Vertigo's death, where she's very much just, no, I'm just, this is just what happens. I have no agenda whatsoever. Because death does have it, and Marvel does have an agenda at times. Yeah, DC's version is just, yeah, I'll get to you sooner or later. No rush. The, the time will come for everyone. Yeah, this is just what happens. I'm not doing it because I'm mean. I'm not doing it because I have an agenda. 
And this is just what I do. Yeah. But the Marvel death at times does have an agenda. Oh, very much so. Yeah. So I would put her closer to the, you know, if you were going to give, have the two of them compared to each other, you know, you want to go towards the DC one. Plus, she's more fun of <laughs> it. She'll tell you jokes on the way down, on the way out. Yeah, it is. And that's exactly what this is. It ends with Marvel accepting it. Yeah, that's we see the flat line. Mentor covers him with a sheet and says he's gone. That is a pretty powerful last page. Yeah, it's just very quiet. I mean, the the top panel is Thanos, Death and Marvel leaving into the light. And then, yeah, like you said, it's just the eek the meter, just the, the flat line. Mm-hmm. And then it's what four panels. Everyone just quiet. Yeah, this is this is one of the few Marvel deaths that has stuck as well. I mean, they kind of teased bringing him back in Civil War, but it wasn't him. No, we we later learned that all the creator teams involved with that character knew very well he was a scroll the whole time. So even if the readers didn't, yeah, I mean they brought he they've had new Captain Marvels, several of them, some of which are related to him. Yep, they've had they've had his, his offspring. They've had others, Carol Danvers, who currently is. Yeah, she's the current one, and very deservingly so. I agree. Yeah, it's nice to have some strong female characters running their own books who don't have the fact that they're female plastered in the title. I mean, yeah, Spider-Man has man in the title, as does Spider-Woman, that's fair. But there's no He-Hulk, right? There's no Mr. Marvel. Yeah. As there is Miss Marvel. And at least with Marvel Girl, you could say there also is a Marvel, has been a Marvel boy. A couple of them, actually. Yeah, I can think of two. Yep. Yeah, so it's, there's some precedent to a lot of this, but one thing that they haven't touched is the fact that he dies of cancer. And I think that's one of the main reasons that they haven't brought him back. Even when they were bringing him back with Civil War, they got a, f- a lot of flack from them going, no, to a lot of people who lost people to cancer, this is a very meaningful story. And Marvel got some hate mail when they told that story, you know, Civil War, The Return, that ends with Marvel apparently back saying, no, you're undermining his death. This is the one death that is untouchable. Yeah, because of how it happened. Exactly. And I suspect because of that backlash when they were trying it, if there was any thought of using that to test the waters so they can kind of undo it and go away, that test has convinced them Marvel is not coming back. So, yeah, I think the best we can hope for is something, I mean, by the time you hear this, Secret Wars has come out, even though at the time of recording it, it hasn't even started yet. But, yeah, the best anyone can hope for is a Captain Marvel from an alternate universe. So the 616 version stays dead, and there's just another one hanging around. Yeah, because, I mean, they've done that Sort of. I know when uh, Jim Strollin was writing Silver Surfer, he had the ghost of Captain Marvel once or twice, or the spirit of. And yeah. of course, we have the Captain Marvel that was from the uh, ironically named Cancerverse. Yep. Who was around, but not this one. No, yeah, and I, I understand completely why people would be offended by that because of the way it is. It'd be kind of like, to me, like if DC took Oracle, who became like very similar for like people with cancer, you know, to like people who were in a wheelchair and just said, oh, no, no, she can walk now. No one cares about the wheelchair stuff. That's crap. Yeah, yeah, gee, good thing they've never done anything like that before. <laughs> I love what Gail Simone did with her, but I, I don't think that's a piece of the puzzle that needed to be there. No, I agree, and I don't blame Gail Simone for doing that. I think that was happening yeah. no matter who wrote that book, the new version. Yeah, one of the things I do like about that is the fact that it's still part of her history. So it's not that it didn't happen, it's just that somehow in the new 52, the damage wasn't as severe and she was able to get better. As far as the significance and the plot synopsis goes, that's about it. Yeah, it's his death and how it happens and how they do it. I mean, yes, there is actually a fight. There are two fight scenes in the book. The one at the end, which is in his head, though, and the one in the beginning where they go to uh, get Thanos' body and a bunch of, uh, yeah, he goes with what? He goes with Eros and Mentor to get Thanos' body from his ship to bring it to their 
family crypt because he mm-hmm. was still mentor's son. Yeah. And they fight some of his uh, goons and lackeys who worship him as a god and think he's going to come back, which, you know, he does. But it's not really about the fight. You know, the fight's almost like, here, well, let's put a fight in here just to have a, you know, because I'm sure you're expecting one. Yeah, it's it's to kick that off and to give a reason for Captain Marvel and the other two to be there. And that first hint, the first time he you see him in pain from the cancer, it's kind of an open question where it's what's going on. You At first, you know, maybe if you didn't read the title of the issue, or even if you had, you'd think that the death is coming because of the physical abuse of the fight, right? Maybe someone yeah. just landed a lucky shot or something along those lines yeah but even but then you would notice actually when you're reading it, you're like wait though he's not saying ow or he's not holding himself like you know arm part like i've been hurt i've been cut he's coughing yeah and it's even the first page when he's kind of almost recording his memoirs that's the hint that he knows what's coming yeah which by the way is interesting enough in the memoirs they they say he came to earth in 1967 they actually still use the date yep yeah this was kind of before the sliding marvel timeline where Fantastic Four number one was twelve years ago. Yeah. Although the way they use the way they do is it they do this flashback, they almost imply that he came to Earth in sixty seven and a few years later people started showing up like superheroes. Yeah. So they almost imply that like you could read it and almost get a feeling that they're saying, Yeah, he came around before the FF, like, you know, he might not have been really doing a lot of stuff crazy, but he was there before them. Which does kind of which could make sense as like a bit of retcon maybe they're doing because they have kind of put him in the position of basically almost like their Superman, like in consider like as not as in power level, but in the way that he's viewed. Yeah. Yeah. End of the next page. Fortunately, in recent years, others of great power have come along to relieve me in this eternal battle of good versus evil. Yeah. Yeah. Just after he gets the, the power cosmic awareness from Elon. So yeah, it does sound like it's a bit of a retcon and that he was here first and already fighting the good fight, which again, kind of puts him, like I said, in the position of like Superman. Yeah, because no matter what, they always kind of imply that Superman is like the main, you know, even when DC had the post-crisis continuity where the Justice Society was around before, you know, in the 40s, Superman was still the first of the current generation. Yeah, everything, at least publicly known, didn't happen in the New 52. Yeah, but yeah, in the New 52, you know, whether you're just going original publications of like, you know, the first of their big superheroes or, you know, whatever version, it's always Superman is the first one. You know, even if it's just the first of this, you know. After a break of 20, 30 years when no one's around, he's the first of the new generation. He's the first to be seen. And it kind of looks like they're doing that with Captain Marvel. It does a little bit, yeah. I mean, whether they're, they're talking about, you know, retconning him to be before Fantastic Four number one, or just referring to Marvel's depth of publication line suddenly exploding after this because they got a new publication deal and were able to put a lot more titles on the market. I don't know. So I could see that panel could be read either way. I mean, the Fantastic Four already existed. The Avengers already existed. The X-Men already existed. But this was Captain Marvel first appeared in the era when Marvel was still doing the split books, right? Tales to Astonish, which was... Tales you know, of Suspense, Strange Tales, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So at the time, Strange Tales was split between uh, Nick Fury, who replaced the Human Torch, and Doctor Strange. We had Tales of Suspense, which was Cap and Iron Man. And Tales to Astonish, which was originally, what, uh, Ant-Man slash Giant-Man, and then them and the Hulk, and then I think it was Hulk and Namor. Yeah, it started with Ant-Man as the lead, and Hulk was the backup. Let that sink in for a moment. Yeah. Although maybe that's not surprising, because by the time people hear this, Ant-Man will be in theaters. And depending how well it does, there's a chance that we actually will see an Ant-Man 2 before we see a Hulk 2. Yeah. If ever. But yeah. And in fact, even Captain Marvel appeared in a, a book. He appeared first in Marvel Super Heroes. Yeah. Which was... Not really a split book. It was more of a reprint. I think it was more reprints. 
because I think he was the first original story to appear in that book. Yeah, it sounds right to me as well. I'd have to do some research to confirm that, but... Because the only ones I could see that had original stories back then was those two issues he was in, and then the issue after that was a Spider-Man story that was supposed to be in the initial run but didn't get used. Okay, all right. So, yeah, from there, the the impact this had on us and the in, on the industry, our personal stories with this. This is another one that was sitting on my shelf, intending to read it until it came up in the podcast and got prioritized. So at least that's my personal history with it. Yeah, this was one I never really... I hadn't read before, I had a chance to read before, and then I saw it on the Marvel Digital Limited a little while ago, but I was planning on waiting until I got to up to it for my podcast, but since I'm doing it, I was going to do this episode, I figured, well, this is the time to read it. <laughs> but it's really good. This shows why Starlin, though, is has the reputation he has, because this is a damn good issue, and not exactly an easy topic to do. No, and it is handled with respect. I mean, they pull out all the big brains in the Marvel Universe to deal with cancer, and they don't really succeed. No, and I mean, they give enough because, I mean, it is fiction, science fiction especially, so part of me is like, well, I don't want to believe that everything we can't handle, no one can handle in the universe. You know, you're going to say, oh, it never can be handled because it's not, I'm not expecting this to be real. Yeah. But they give enough reason why they can't cure his. Exactly. Yeah, that's, to be consistent with the characters, these guys would find a solution. I mean, you put these Marvel brains in the in a room together, there's never been a problem they haven't been able to solve. What I like about it is they say, we've got the solution, but it's too late to do it. Yeah. Right? We're getting interference from the negabands that give him his power. But they're also keeping him alive. Yeah, they've extended his life to this point, but they will prevent our cure from working. And they said they need a Cree expert. They need Cree expert. They need Cree doctors to actually have been able, you know, they needed them earlier to actually have been able to do something really worthwhile. But the Cree won't help because they don't like him. Because, as I said before on my show, this has been said a couple times, the Supreme Intelligence is a dick. Yep. Yeah, the Kree Supreme Intelligence is not a benevolent ruler. He wants the Kree Empire to be healthy and expanding, but mostly because he wants to run a bigger empire. Yeah, but he will kill half, uh, half of them if he has to to do it. Yep. Like in Operation Galactic Storm, which I'm pretty certain was not on this list. Uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> but yeah, no, he's a... And, and that's also, but it, like you said, it fits character-wise of how they don't cure him, you know, because the Supreme Intelligence is a dick. And he wouldn't lift a finger to help Marvel because it does him no benefit, and he probably benefits him more to let him die. Yeah, and even the way they describe the relationship, he would just enjoy watching him die. Because Marvel's been a pain in his side. Because, you know, he doesn't really have a butt anymore. Yeah, that's true. Even though he is responsible for saving him several times. <laughs> or the Empire. Yeah, but he wouldn't want to admit that. No. No, so... I mean, that's what we have for the impact this had on the industry. Well, first of all, it kicked off the Marvel graphic novel line, which just in starting it with the death of Captain Marvel, I found gave a little more weight. We've talked about the introduction of the New Mutants in Volume 4. You will hear a podcast that's already been recorded about X-Men God Loves, Man Kills, and graphic novel 5. The fact that they kicked off the line by killing a fairly prominent Marvel character tells you that yeah, these Marvel graphic novels are not only part of continuity and important in that sense, if they choose to be, that stories were hit and miss, so they weren't all in continuity. Yeah. But there's lines that they're willing to cross in there that we won't necessarily see them crossing later. Yeah, you could. Yeah, they 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 were showing that hopefully not only they cross these lines, but you will get something really worthwhile out of them. Because I think all three of the ones you mentioned are really worthwhile reading. Yeah. I would also throw in there, although I don't think we made the list, the Spider-Man uh, by Bernie Wrightson, Hookie. Yep, by Susan K. Putney and Bernie Wrightson. That has long been one of my favorite Spidey stories ever. 
Yeah, it's number 22, also Marvel Digital Unlimited. Oh, it is on the list? Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's not on the 75 countdown. Oh, oh, you mean it's 22 graphic novels. Yeah. Uh, graphic novel 24, Daredevil Love and War is another good one. All right. They're, you know, The Inhumans, Silver Surfer, Judgment Day. They're, there's a fairly lengthy list of quality titles in these graphic novels. We've got Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom teaming up. Oh, yeah, that's right. These. So there's a lot to be said here. So kicking off this line of product and killing Captain Marvel. And Captain Marvel, even if his book wasn't selling hot at this time. I think it had been canceled. I think it had been canceled because it did end, uh, I think it ended like 80, 81. And they even say in the beginning, he says, I've been in semi-retirement for the last few months. Which, by Marvel time, means, you know, three years <laughs> publication. Yeah, like it's... The, the character wasn't selling like hotcakes, but this is a name that they wanted to keep owning. Yes. Right. This is a trademark. Marvel did not want any other company to have the rights to publish a character named Marvel. That's why he was created in the first place. And that Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam, created by C.C. Beck, was owned by a company originally that had just gone on a business. So the trademark wasn't so much available as it was undefendable. That's right, because Fawcett had gone out of business at that point. And it wasn't owned by DC yet. Yeah, so Archie Goodwin jumped the heck all over that thing and got a character called Captain Marvel out in publication as soon as he could. And when I say as soon as he could, that's probably why the original content showed up in Marvel Superheroes, because they didn't have another book in the line to put him in. Yeah. Because of the, the restrictions of their publishing deal. So rather than canceling a new character, I think they just canceled the reprint book and mutated that into the new title. Well, plus that way they didn't have to go for a full commitment yet. Yeah. You know? Because I'm pretty certain he appears actually on the cover. His name appears on the cover of that book. Yeah, but that seems more like trade just for that cover. It was introducing Captain Marvel and, you know, trying to show, hey, this isn't a reprint this month. Come check it out. And then as soon as they could, with the expansion of the line and the change in their publication deal, then he got his own book. Well, because I have to wonder, that has part of the reason, because I don't really, I can't say I under, you know, understand all these rule laws and everything, but that might be maybe part of the reason why... DC can publish, you know, char the character Captain Marvel. They can use him, and he can be – well, they don't call him that, but he was allowed to be called Captain Marvel. They just can't say ever say that on the covers. Yeah, and that's because Marvel did jump on the cover trademark. So that's what I'm wondering is, like, when when they did that with, the, you know, with the first appearance of Marvel Superheroes, is that was just because that way they could – you know, they just wanted to be able to use it, but since they had it on the cover, that gave them that little bit extra trademark to go on for a while. Yeah, because there's trademarks on characters, and there's trademarks on the actual titles of the books. Okay, so that's why then they, no matter what, they were going to put his name on the cover. Yeah, so he couldn't be the title of the book. I don't know if they couldn't use his name on the cover at all. So if this is back in the day when characters could use speech balloons, I don't know if, it may have been that a character is allowed to say, here comes Captain Marvel in a speech balloon as long as it's not the title of the book. That's something I don't know about. I am not by any means an expert. Yeah, no, my knowledge of the law usually is just limited to whatever cop shows I've watched, and I don't think any of them have dealt with that kind of copyright law yet, so I would have no knowledge of it. Yeah, most of what I know about this is what I dug up in terms of the Golden Age Daredevil, and explaining why Daredevil got his own book instead of being put in a split book, like some of the other ones. It's because, you know, the Love Gleason company went out of business, and they no longer held the trademark on the title of the character named Daredevil or Daredevil Comics. So when Marvel launched a character named Daredevil, they put him in his own book to grab that trademark, too. Yes. Which is why whenever that character's been used ever since, he's been called Red Devil. Yeah, that's what they've been calling him. Sometimes it was Daredevil in other places. Sometimes they just did the apostrophe devil as a shortened thing. Uh, Red Devil, I think, is the more recent dynamite version. Uh, but he's also a good character. Bart Hall, I believe. 
Yeah, I keep remembering. I have to go read some of this stuff because actually it is available online and legally. Yep, digitalcomicsmuseum.com. Highly recommended. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Uh, start with uh, Silver Streak Comics. Actually, start with Silver Streak number three because that's where the shared universe starts. Silver Streak first appears in Silver Streak issue three, not issue one. The uh... Oh, yeah, because a lot of that stuff happened. Yeah, they change numbers and jump around. Uh, that was because the guy who started the line named the comic anthology series after his car because he really, really liked his car. <laughs> and the company was named after his daughter. And then he got bored with it and Lev Gleason bought it. So they changed the Rachel Publications to Lev Gleason Publications and Lev Gleason said, okay, if we're going to have Silver Streak comics, we're going to have a Silver Streak character. Put him in there with issue three. And Daredevil appears in issue seven of that. And when he spins out to his own title... His own title lasted, I believe, 136 issues, but Daredevil was only in the first 80. So Daredevil Comics 81 through 136 do not actually have Daredevil in them. Oh, yeah, well, they, yeah, they did, I know they did that a lot in the Golden Age. And as, it, as characters got in, they changed it to, like, horror stories. And I didn't, like, Captain America get, like, an issue or two. All he did was introduce a horror story, and then he was just out of his book. Could be. I, I don't know. My memory is a little vague on this. If you want the accurate version... Uh, check out my guest spot on uh, Dave's Daredevil podcast where I talk about the Golden Age Daredevil because it was firstly researched and right in front of me when that was recorded. But it's I'm sorry, that's just funny that he, you know, I really love my car. I'm naming up my car. My daughter's the most important thing in my life. I'm naming my company after my daughter. Okay, I'm selling it now. Yeah. What does that say about the relationship of his daughter? I want to know what happened to that poor girl. Your women. We want to buy your women. Here, take my daughter. <laughs> okay. Anyway. All right. So the next part of the podcast is the one I have shamelessly stolen. From the Mission Log Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Highly recommended. One of the things that they end with is looking for messages, morals, and meanings that are in these comics. And that's something I like to do with these greatest. Because while you don't find messages, morals, and meanings to a great degree in a lot of comics, aside from crime bad, mm, when yeah. you're on the greatest list, there's usually more depth to them. You know, unless we're talking about the last time you heard Al on this show. So, I mean, for the messages, morals, and meanings... The other thing I get out of this is death Death is inevitable. It's not necessarily going to be going down in a fight. It could be anything. That's what we get here. Yeah. There's a little bit of anti-pollution message in this when they're saying, well, yeah, it's happening with all these pollutants. I'm surprised more people aren't dying by it. And that's... Oh, yeah. They say on Titan, say, yeah, they call it the inner decay there. They say, we really don't have it, but we're it's so clean here that we don't have to deal with it, really. Yeah, which is... There's other factors because cancer itself... They estimate that at every given time, every adult human, on average, has 24 cancerous cells in their body. Cancer is a case where the, the body hasn't replicated correctly, and the cells try to grow out of control. So when usually when you see someone has cancer, it's not that they have cancer cells within them, because we all do. It's that the body's natural mechanisms for identifying and destroying those cells have failed to the point where these tumors have grown large enough that the body's natural defenses can no longer take them down. Yeah, which is kind of the the basis for well, obviously it is for Marvel what can't the cancer verse as they call it. It's that life is gone. There's no death, and life mm -hmm. is left unchecked to the point where everything is like that. The whole universe is basically like that. Yeah, and it's and that's part of the reason why it's so horrible. And that's part of the reason why it's so difficult to cure because it's not a case of preventing the cancer from forming in the first place because that's just not going to happen. It's a case of figuring out why did your body fail to stop it. And how can we stop this when it's consuming extra resources in the body and, and tearing through it? It is, there's certain specific cancers that they've done a good job with, but that's just because of the nature of the cells in the body where it starts. Yeah. You know, that's why prostate cancer versus breast cancer versus lung cancer 
have different success rates, different growth rates. It's because every cell in the body has a different growth rate to begin with. And, you know, you can get different types of cancers. So when they go, you get different effects. Yeah. So I do like the fact that they, by and large, are treating cancer as insurmountable here. It's possibly one of, if not the most complex problem that is being worked on in modern medical science. There's just so much more we need to understand about the human body to really nail it. We've made a lot of progress lately. We could make more if certain types of research were still on the table, but that's the subject of a completely different podcast. Yes. Which they do touch on a little bit here, too. They say that the creed never bothered to cure it. You know, they said they, they, they had better, you know, basically says they had things that they thought were more, they'd rather deal with. He said Earth is much the same way, which I think is Starlin's little bit of, you know, his own little personal commentary there. Yeah, I, that line to me sounded like someone who's angry because they lost someone important to them because of cancer. There, there's no guarantee that we couldn't have devoted everything to everywhere on the planet, put all those research into the cure for cancer. I'm not convinced that we'd be able to cure all forms of cancer with that background. It's The problem is just that complex because it really is to the point where the lung cancer solution is not the breast cancer solution, is not the brain cancer solution, is not the prostate cancer solution, is not the pancreatic cancer solution. And Yeah, exactly, because there's just way too many versions. Yeah. I mean, we get some things that have good success rates. Like there's types of chemotherapy that work with a lot of cancers, but they work by attacking all the tissues in the body. We're just, you know, looking for things yeah. that are just a little bit better at fighting the cancer than that fighting the rest and just kind of chipping away at it that way. I mean, it's almost like cauterizing a wound, right? You're going to burn healthy tissue while you're doing it, but if you do it right, it's better off in the long run. So I, I do like that amount of respect and the fact that they've dealt with the severity of cancer here. I mean, it's it did seem to me that Starlin was trying to put himself through some therapy. I didn't want to dig into it because I do try to cover these podcasts. You know, if I already know something about it, I'll fill that in, but I do by and large try to judge them strictly by what's on the page and what you would get out of these. If you just pick that up. Yeah. If you're just reading the original issues as they're published, then that's what you'd get. And that's what the experience would be. Because I yeah. suspect a lot of the people who are voting for these were reading them as they came out. Yeah. But it's very possible that he was dealing with it because, A, like we said, it sounded like that the little commentary of his, you know, like you said, somebody angry about it. But also because of how he did it and the respect he gave it and the passion you could feel behind it of, you know, that he felt for this and trying to do it as respectfully as possible, you know, makes it a better issue. Yeah. Then somebody just going, we should write a story about this. You do that. Go do it. Yeah. A lot of the other times when you see cancer, it's more, you know, the, the character with the cancer is not the point of the story. You know, it's often that you'll, you know, run into a character who's a generally good person who's maybe doing petty theft or something like that. And you find out, oh, it's because someone close to them is cancer. They need money for treatments. Yeah. Or a supporting a, new, a supporting character or a lot of times a new supporting character for whoever the main character is, has it. So you can see how the main character deals with it. Yeah. This is one of the possibly the only story I can think of. I actually can't think of another one off the top of my head now, although I won't guarantee they won't have five popping into my head as soon as we're done recording. Of course. Where it really is the main character that that this story is about, right? It, as far as the cancer is. Like, it's it's the title character that has the cancer, and especially the one where it, they do not survive. Yeah. You know, this isn't, well, you can go call Mephisto and he'll fix the gunshot wound as long as you trade your marriage. Because that makes sense. Yeah. This is a case where, no, that's they put everything they could into it, and it just wasn't enough. So, I don't know, I guess... Unless the other message is don't wear negabands because they'll mess up your treatments. Plus they stick you in the negative zone. And that just sucks. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I think that's here, and I think it's easy to see why this landed at point number 25, because this is not just a well-made issue. This is an issue that's significant for the continuity of the Marvel Universe. It's significant for the industry as a whole. Yeah, like we said, it's one of the first ones where they do this. It's significant for Marvel in that I'm not sure if they had beforehand, but definitely from this point on, Captain Marvel is given, like I said, Superman level or like the level that they would after Crisis on Infinite Earths before they brought him back. Barry Allen, the Flash, was like almost sainted in retrospect, like by the characters. And that's where he was. That's what Captain Marvel is like considered pretty much. Yeah. And it's a lot of people forget the, the history some of these guys have. I mean, who remembers that the Flash was on trial for murder? Murder. And whether, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure about how it ended up with that or the law, you know, the exact law, what it is, but he did kill the guy. You know, whether it was cold-blooded murder or not, I'm not saying because I didn't read the issues, but I mean, he did kill him. Yeah. It's not like it's not like it was a frame-up. No, when he was on trail for murder, the question was, given these motivations, was it self-defense enough to, to get him acquitted? Yeah. But it wasn't self-defense, it was the defense of another. But anyway. But but anyway, but that's the thing, like, this, he's been given that status now, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, this is, it's the anti-Hank Pym. This is the moment where you can, he can do no wrong from this point forward. Yeah, and it also, that is believable, though, because, I mean, when someone passes away, someone, you know, dies, someone passes away, we uh, we kind of generally, I mean, unless they were that horrible person, you kind of gloss over a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of stop looking at the bad stuff that happened, you know, and you just look at the good, you know, the good stuff. And not just for people you know, but even just, like, in in culture, you know, in, you know, that are just known by, by us now, not people, even we didn't know them personally. Yeah. Convention of our society is you don't speak ill of the dead. Yeah. Like I said, you have to be that bad a person, you know, after Hitler died. Yeah. He's still, you know, we still hate him because he's that bad a person. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got photos that I, I found online of a liquor store when the founder of the Westboro Baptist church passed away, you know, and the, the sign out front was his name, year of birth to year of death. Champagne 10% off, not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but again, that's so, yeah, he earned that though. You have to actually try and earn to have everyone hate you when you die. Yeah, there's not many. I mean, it's when I was coming up with an example, the first thing that sprung to my mind is the one you beat me to with Hitler. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to come up with someone who's done more damage to the human species in such a short period of time. And I'm sure you could find some, I believe, Genghis Khan and, you know, some of the other rulers from way back when those conquerors slaughtered yeah. a lot more. Genghis Khan, Pol Pot, Kim Jong-il. Yeah, not in the age of mass media that's free to record. Yeah, there's only going to be a handful. The vast majority of people that you hear about, you know, you might not like them. You may be like, oh, I mean, Michael Jackson. You know, it's. I'm, I'm not saying it's gone completely, but still, it's. it's been very softened on him since he passed away. Oh, you know, it's a lot more, oh, the music and everything he did. And it's a lot less about, well, did something happen with the kids or not? Yeah. Yeah, people are, there's a lot less talk about his babysitting prowess, shall we call it? Yeah, you know, because he's, like I said, he's passed away now. I mean, and also maybe part of it is because, well, you don't worry about him doing it again, or doing it, you know, doing it because he can't anymore. Nope. So I I think that's why it's here. This is one that is, it's easy to recommend picking up. Oh, yeah. This is one that we can track down, as actually is the next one. So you're actually all encouraged to join us again in a week's time when Al will be back with us. When we discuss the Jim Starlin run on Adam Warlock, Strange Tales 178 to 181, and Warlock numbers 9 through 15, which have been reprinted in Fantasy Masterpieces 8 to 14, 
Marvel Masterworks Adam Warlock Volume 2, as well as Marvel Digital Unlimited and Comixology. So, Al, thanks again for joining us for this issue. Ah, thank you for having me. Yeah, and I look forward to talking to you again next week about a story that ends in a little more upbeat fashion. Yes, briefly. Just don't read more of the story. Yeah. So for those listening at home, don't forget to check out Al's other podcasts and to rate this show and anything else that you listen to on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcatcher you happen to be using. You can jump on over to our Facebook group where we can discuss these podcasts as they come out or over on Bureau42.com. And thank you for listening.